So today I find myself in a solicitor's office uh, of criminal lawyer Maggie Stemp, uh, who has agreed to talk to me for this podcast, which is pretty awesome because normally when you uh, sit down across the table from a solicitor, it's costing you a lot of money and you've done something wrong. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, Maggie's reputation uh, in Sydney's uh, criminal law scene is... I don't know. I actually don't know how to sum it up because you've represented some of the more colourful figures of Sydney's underworld I have. Um, I have. over many years. So, if I asked the simple question, okay, if these walls could talk today, what would they tell us? Ooh, how far back do you want to go? When did you finish and qualify as a lawyer? Okay, um, I had a few stops and starts. But I finally qualified as a lawyer in 1984. Okay. Um, and I actually fell into criminal law by accident because when I started working at Bankstown, there was one female solicitor out there and she was getting married and in those days when you got married, that was it. She was leaving. Um, and she approached me and said, oh, wow, you know, I'm really pleased you're here. I act for a women's refuge and there's nobody to take it over when I'm going, so can you please do that, which I did. Um, and the women's refuge led to crime. Okay, as in the women that were at the refuge had been victims of crime? The women were victims of crime. The women also um, had apprehended violence orders. That was the beginning of apprehended violence orders. It was the beginning of women's refuges. Um, that was still in the days of when there was domestic violence and a woman was bashed black and blue. Usually the police sergeant would come and see her and say, hi, love, you know, look, let's have a nice cup of tea and talk about this. And you don't really want to press charges, do you? Okay. That's what it was like then. and But things were just starting to change and there was a few women refuges. And so I started working for that women's refuge. It was really a learning curve for both of us. I knew nothing and they knew nothing. So off we went. Um, so when we got domestic, when we got family law proceedings, with it would come domestic violence. So I've actually said it back to front. It was originally family law and then the AVOs came a bit later from the family law and that's how it started. So you were, you were representing women who had no other option? Basically. Absolutely none. Absolutely okay. none. And it was actually really interesting because way back then I was already seeing institutionalised Centrelink. I was seeing third generation people who were on Centrelink then. So what's the link between, sorry, for those that don't know, Centrelink is the Australian welfare system. Yes, um, yeah. What, what link do you see between uh, welfare um, or generational welfare recipients and domestic violence? I think there's a huge link because of the, the desperation, the futility, the, um, the finality of it all. There doesn't seem to be anything that they actually really dream about. And I think dreams are really important for people. Mm. Everybody's got to have dreams. Um, they, these women, I was, the women I was dealing with were 16, 17. Their mothers, they were young girls. Their mothers were in their early 30s. Mm. The grandmothers were in their mid-40s. I was just incredible. Is that is that incredible by today's standards where people are having children later? Or is that, like, obviously I wasn't around, I was very, yeah. very young then. Yes. Um, but was that normal then, in that, in that sort of no. early 80s? No. no, no, definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. Um, people definitely had children earlier, but not 16, not 15. No, that that's, was unusual then yeah. and, yeah, it was still unusual. Okay. So well, how, do you, how do you then play out a solution? Like you've been through the courts, obviously, so many times you, you know it backwards in that scenario. 
Um, and if you do, you still see that pattern repeat, or is there a, is Look, there a solution to move away from that welfare system? I, there probably is, but I don't know it. But I think people have to be given some sort of self worth, and these women weren't given the self worth in the first place. On top of that, they then had the husband who bashed them black and blue, which wasn't really helpful. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, but Sorry, it's not funny, but you laugh yeah, because yeah, of the way yeah, that you put it. Yeah, but yeah. unfortunately they also had fathers that um, bashed their mothers black and blue. Right, so there's two streams of yes, generation. Yeah, and usually them as well. Right. You know, and then if you throw in the bit of incest too, um, the whole thing's just really a disaster from beginning to end. And I don't think legislation or courts are the answer. I think something has got to be done. So what, um, what were you, as a solicitor uh, or, and as a, a lawyer, an attorney, whatever term you want to put um, to yourself for that time, what's, what were you doing within yourself to make you feel like you were actually helping? Well, probably the best I could, but, you know, I don't know. I was helping in that if they were in the women's refuge, I would do their family law case. I would then do their domestic violence. Um, unfortunately, five out of ten times, they would then return with a criminal matter. I would then do their criminal matter, whether it was shoplifting or drink driving or an assault. Usually it was common assaults or something to do with... Um, Docs, as it was called in those days, taking their children. It was just this whole cycle of violence and poverty. Okay. And and then then you throw in drugs, that gets even better. <laughs> we'll get to drugs in a minute, I think, because there's, there's probably a lot to talk about there. But it, it, the, the two are probably quite well linked, though, mm. with regard to the, what you've said about if people don't have dreams or a sense of value. Um, which is the, the underlying issue that you've raised. Yes, okay. yes. So whilst you can represent these people and hope for the best outcome in, in the courts, yes. uh, where does society leave them once you've done your job? Well, this is the problem. I think society leaves them out in the cold big time because um, once I've done my job and they have to leave the women's refuge, if they're in a refuge... Um, in those days, they would get housing commission housing quicker. So, but it still took time. So eventually they got housing commission housing. Then they're in a housing commission. Then they have a very, very limited income that they get from Centrelink. And they have children. And the children start developing problems because they're in a housing commission estate, which is often with a whole lot of other people with the same problems. It's, but then again, if you take them out of there and put them somewhere else, then the children feel that they're different. It's, I don't know the you answer. don't know the answer. We're not I, going to get an answer. No, yet. I don't know the answer, but I know that whatever we're doing is getting is worse, working? not better. Yeah, okay. It's definitely now, getting worse. Was this worse. work that you were doing pro bono or were you, were you getting paid for it at that time? A lot of it was pro bono, okay. but a lot of it, legal aid had just started then. Right. So a lot of it was legal aid, which, you know, really might as well be pro bono. Okay. <laughs> so you get your, your costs covered. Yes. Well, yes, you kind do. Of. Kind of, yeah. Right. What's yeah. your view on pro bono work in the legal industry? My view on pro bono work in the legal industry is that it's very good for people who are worthy, but unfortunately, the people who know about pro bono and who ask for it are usually the ones who aren't worthy and can certainly pay. Example? The Not without naming names. No, but... the hardened crims. They're the ones who know about pro bono. Right. Oh, come on, you can do this and you can do, look, this will make you famous. Is there an element of vanity when it comes to fame then amongst, amongst the legal fraternity? Um, I think so, big time. Yeah. Yes, I think so. Um, look, I think most lawyers are probably, particularly advocates, are probably frustrated actors. <laughs> yeah, you know. Because they want to stand up in court yeah, and have yeah, their moment in the sun. Yeah, that's, well, Sorry, yeah, no, like yeah that. but I mean, standing up in court and being an advocate mm. is, it's like acting. That's what it is. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, there's fame involved, but... Also, too, if you um, get publicity, then other people get to know about you and then that gets you other clients. So it's, 
There's a wealth side to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so, but if I had a dollar for every time someone said that to me, I would not be a millionaire, I would be a billionaire. <laughs> All right. So I love your sense of humour about the whole thing. Like we've just, we've well, you gone, have to have a sense of humour. You couldn't get away without it, could you? No, you have to have a sense of humour. Okay, which, okay, that's a really important thing, I think, to, to touch on as well. You've, you've started your career dealing with women that have been beat up and spat out literally by their husbands or partners yes. and then the welfare system. Yes. Right? You meet with them, you sit across the table from them, you listen to their story, yes. which I'm sure is um, brutal a yes. lot of the time, yeah. Yeah. and then you have to act on that, prepare a case, take it to the courts, all the paperwork yeah. that goes with it. So you would have an exceptionally detailed understanding of exactly what has happened to these yes. people. Yes. When you go home at night, how do you turn that off? Um, by watching really dumb TV shows. <laughs> Please tell me you're not a Big Brother fan. <laughs> no, okay. no, but I sure like Married at First Sight. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, no, by watching really dumb TV shows, yeah. but unfortunately you don't turn off enough. Yeah. And I act, stopped doing family law. I stopped doing family law 20 years ago. Mm. Um because I really didn't like it. I think family law is far more heart-wrenching than criminal law. Because you're so in touch with the victims? Yeah, and because it's just it's just a no-win anywhere. It's just it's just not a winner for anybody. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's they don't win financially. One partner doesn't win because they don't see the kids. The kids don't win. Nobody wins. Just got nothing going. But in, for in an abuse case like what you're saying, though, there's physical violence. Um, surely, at some point, that can be a result. Well, not really, because even if a child is getting abused by the parent, and yes, the parent is removed and the abuse stays, the mental damage is done on the child. Mm. I mean, imagine going through the rest of your life knowing that you had a father who sexually assaulted you or a mother. I don't think you can, unless you've actually been there in that well, environment. Well, I actually don't think you can imagine what that would be like. Well, but you can imagine yeah. it wouldn't be good. Oh, you know it wouldn't yeah, be good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's like saying, imagine that your husband or your partner beat you It's yeah. you know, and you were thrown out in the street. It's, it's not something that you can really fathom. Yeah, and it's also, like, too, I think family law, people usually say, oh, I don't know how you can do crime. How can you be with those people? Well, those people are usually a lot better than family law people. In what way? Well, family law people are just vicious. They're just really, really vicious. As opposed to the people that have murdered someone, for instance. Yeah, but if someone murders someone, well, if someone murders someone, it's usually that person, mm. um, and they have done it either because they're a complete sociopath or they've done it because there's been an accident or there's been something. Whereas with family law, it all seems to be about trying to destroy each other. Yeah, I suppose if you've got a, a, a an instance in family law where things have degenerated to the point where you've called the solicitors, yeah. you're beyond reason at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to, I can remember having whole settlements fall over over a plastic shower curtain. And I mean, these people had nothing in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> So they've just picked a point to argue yeah, about. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, lots of middle-class people that I used to act for too. When it came down to what would you rather have, the kids or the money, they'd pick the money. Really? Oh, yeah. You can always get more kids. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten in trouble for saying that before <laughs> as a joke. Yeah. Well, um, doesn't go down well. No, but that's what they're obviously thinking. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing that. Look, what you're not allowed to say and what people actually think and do are two very different things. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Whereas I just think, look, the only criminal clients I really can't stand are the ones that I think are innocent. I hate acting for them. Hang on. You can't stand the ones that you think are innocent. Yes. But they're being accused of something. Yes. Surely that's an easier thing to reconcile within yourself. No, not at all. No. No. Horrible. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay. I've I've um, I've been arrested by the police. Yeah. Um, for a crime I didn't commit. Yes. Let's just say um, an assault charge. Yeah. A, a fairly 
run of the Monopoly. Yeah, not that sort of stuff. Let's do something more. Okay, you you pick. pick. Oh, look, let's pick a murder or let's pick a murder or a um, large quantity of a drug case. They're the sort of yeah. things that can carry life in prison. Okay, all right. So, or, or many, many years. So my my yacht has been used to bring in 120 kilograms yes. of cocaine yes. and the police have arrested me Yes. and I am innocent. I have nothing to do with it, but I'm yes. suspect number yes. one because it was my yacht. Yes. I come to you, I say, Maggie, I did not do this. Yeah. You believe me? Yes. Surely that's easier than, Maggie, I've done this, I'm guilty. No, no, not at all because... No? If you, if you come to me and say, Maggie, I'm guilty, I've done this, then I say, because first and foremost, I'm an officer of the court. Okay, that's okay. the first thing. Yeah. Um, so I then have to say to you, okay, Joel, now that you've told me that, if you still want me to represent you, it has to be a plea of guilty. Okay? We have to go to court, you have to plead guilty, um, and I can do everything in my power to minimise your sentence. Mm-hmm. But if you want to go and plead not guilty, I advise you get another lawyer. And don't tell them that you were guilty in the first place. Well, can't I can't tell you that. You can't tell yes, me that. Yes, yeah. yes but, but that it would be obvious, yes. Okay, because I thought it was kind of the other way around. I thought you could come in and tell your solicitor anything and then they you were... You can, but yeah. the solicitor's an officer of the court first and foremost. And the solicitor can't lie to the court, which means I don't have a duty to go there and say, look, Joel did it. Mm. But I can't, if it's... If you're trying to run a defence, I can't ask any affirmative questions. Which makes it very obvious it, it, that you're guilty because exactly. the judgment yeah. what's going on. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. Yeah, but that bit's simple because, okay, you did it. Yeah. You know, what I think of the legislation about um, drugs and things is irrelevant, but the fact is you broke the law. Okay, you deserve, under our current legal system, you deserve to be punished. You de- hang on, you deserve to be punished or you deserve to be tried in a court of law? Well, no, because if you did it and you're pleading guilty... Right, then you've done it. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But th- th- I'm talking... You asked me the question about mm. in my Innocence mind. Versus, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Whereas if you're innocent, that's terrible. Anything can happen in a court. Right, so there's a fear that your innocent client gets sent to jail. Mm-hmm. And that's terrible. Yeah. For everyone involved. Yeah, no, that's yeah. really awful. How frequent does how frequently does that happen? No, I think it happens. It happens. Yeah, oh, it happens. Yeah. Okay. And it can happen for all sorts of reasons. It can happen because, you know, jurors, who knows what actually happens in the jury room, um, but it happens. It happens yeah. a lot. That's that's really interesting. So. If I'm, do, I'm, just, I'm still trying to sort of get through that in my head, that if you are actually innocent, that from a solicitor's standpoint, not all, but from yeah. your standpoint, it's a more difficult case to take. Oh, on. well, for me, it's just terrible. Yeah. Because if you fail, then that's a real failure. The mm. other one, I mean, even if a guilty client gets a really harsh sentence that's too harsh, I mean, yeah. okay, in your mind, you can console yourself with, well, but they did do it, mm-hmm. you know? That's okay. Yeah, they, they, they brought in a shipload of cocaine. Yeah. We thought they were going to get 30 years. Yeah, but they got 50. They got they? 50, yeah. yeah. Okay, but the fact is he was guilty. Yeah, exactly. But if it's the person didn't do anything mm. and they were found guilty, then that's just a tragedy. Yeah. A shocking tragedy. And the appeal system is not great. As I tell clients, yeah, an appeal's really good, but it's like playing a tennis game with one arm tied behind your back. Okay. <laughs> That's what an appeal is because yeah. you're stuck. The legislation says you're stuck with a lot of the things that happened first time round. So you're now sitting in prison waiting for your appeal to yeah. come up. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. And the law also says that whatever your lawyer says is taken as you saying it. So if you pick a bum lawyer mm. and the lawyer says dopey stuff and you get found guilty, a lot of the time on appeal you're stuck with that. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, so pick a good lawyer. Yeah, but, (laughs) and again, how do you know how to pick a good lawyer? Unless you're a hardened criminal, you don't know that. And Yeah, exactly. Um, And as kind of when I open this conversation by saying generally when you sit down Mm. across from a solicitor, it's because you've done something. Now, most of us 
have, would never have an experience dealing with the legal system. No, right? it's, no. It's, it's a rarity. Um, but or that, if they do, it's something like going through a red light. Yeah, yeah. where the consequences are, yeah. you know, minimal for, for being found guilty. And in yeah. fact, a lot of those situations, you'll just pay the fine yes. just to end yeah. the case. Yeah. Okay. So when you swap from family law to criminal law, like you, you sort of segued into that yeah. as to how that happened. But it seems over time the kind of criminals that you've represented have gotten uh, bolder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, for I, I started doing criminal law probably about 86, but since about 98, 99, I've done practically only um, crime. And definitely since two thousand and three, four, just yeah. the the only other civil work I sort of do is large civil litigation, but that's very rare. I haven't done that for a long time. Okay. And again, that's sort of being a people whose finance company has taken their house because their drug addict son happened to have mortgaged it, which is a whole other ball game. But there's a criminal element yeah, to that as yes, well, or yes, a fraud yeah, element. Yes, yeah. Okay. So what is is there an attraction to um, the kind of criminals? I mean, I, I don't even like the word criminals because we'll, we'll talk about rehabilitation and and, yeah. and the crimes that people are being tried for in a minute. But is there an attraction for you for dealing with, with that, um, that side of society that... Um, yeah, you know, because is, I still, after all these years, haven't worked out why. I mean, why some, you're attracted to it or no, why No, why they are doing it. Right. Why people actually commit crimes. I mean, I know all the usual reasons, you know, the poor background, um, you know, we're mm -hmm. toilet trained right, whatever, that stuff. But I think it's more than that. Yes, so do I. Okay, so let's let's take out um, crimes of, of murder and manslaughter yeah. and things like that because that can be um, there's there's so many reasons why yeah. people can go down that path. Let's just talk about drugs for a second. Yeah. The the situation that we have in Australia, which is like most of the Western world, is that drugs are illegal. Yes. Right. Yeah. And scheduled into different yeah. classes. What's your view on the prohibition of those substances then? And I think they should be legalised. Okay. I've always thought that. I think o always, always from when? Always uh, a long right. time. Oh, probably from the time I was, I don't know, 15, 16. Okay. When, it, when drugs first came into your being. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Why? Um, because I think that anything that is prohibited is far more attractive. I think it leads to a black market. Um, and I think ultimately it leads to far more problems. But it'll never happen because the Western world gets very rich on drugs. Never happen. I mean, in, in countries like Uruguay and uh, Portugal, it's, it's happening. Same with um, Sweden or Switzerland, I can't remember. One of them. Yeah, but that's marijuana and stuff. It's not... uh, a bit more than that, as far as I'm aware. So from what I've read, uh, and I'm going by books that I've read, there's one in particular called Chasing the Scream by a guy mm. called Johan Hari, where, uh, like, Portugal had a heroin epidemic that was, mm. like, just out of control. And so they just decriminalised it and Well, provided... England kind of did that yeah. too. Yeah, but that doesn't... There's still a huge black market in it because the way I understand the way England worked... Mm. Um, in fact, with Marian Faithful was living on the streets for 12 years and um, on the British health scheme getting her heroin. But I think, again, that's very tight. It's not like you can walk into a shop. Yeah, you have to present to a doctor, tell yeah, them yeah. you're an addict, yeah, yeah, so you think yeah. there'll always be a black yeah, market. Yeah, black. yeah. Okay, but that black market creates a... Um, a criminal class. Yeah, my clients. Your clients. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting because if you want to see the drugs legalised, you're out of work. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. I think it should happen. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. Um, I mean, the fact that, that the United States, or not the United States as a whole, but a lot of countries have, uh, state, sorry, have decriminalised mm. marijuana. Yeah. You can you can just walk into a shop. Yeah, sure, and that's that should have happened years ago. Okay, but the wheels of society turn very, yeah. very slowly. Yeah. Do you see that as a start point? I do, definitely, definitely. The same as prohibition. 
it didn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's going to be the same with soft drugs, and it should be. Okay. Do you think there's a theory with prohibition that I've that I've read that um, when they prohibited alcohol in its entirety, it forced people to taking or to using um, more concentrated versions of alcohol. Mm. So people were drinking a lot of whiskey and gin mm. and spirits mm. because it's easier to transport a litre of, of bootleg gin uh, than it is to support uh, to, to transport a whole case mm. of beer. So you've you've basically forced people into using harder yeah. substances. Do you think that's the same for, for drugs? Like if you legalise the softer ones, that people won't step up to using um, harder drugs? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. Okay. I don't know. Um, probably not because... It's now tied up with all sorts of things. You know, you've got gangs, you've got peer pressure, you've got party drugs. I think the party drugs are far more popular amongst young people than marijuana. Probably. Yeah. They're fun. <laughs> there's a reason yeah. for it. Yeah, well, um, well then there's your answer. I don't no. think so. Okay. I and mean, there's also, there's a lot of research to say that they're pretty much harmless. Mm, I don't know about that. Well, if, if you look at, um, of, again, I did a little bit of research mm. before this. If you look at the toxicology reports that come out when, when people overdose on mm. party drugs, mm. it's usually because they're being contaminated or cut with something else. Exactly. They didn't know what they exactly. were taking. Because some idiot's making it in his microwave. Which is, yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, home labs or whatever. Yeah. But if, it, you know, it's very hard, or it's, it's impossible to overdose on, on pure forms of LSD, for instance. Mm. Like, you can, you can cook yeah. your brain to an extent, but... I know, I and I think in an utopian world, you can also live to a ripe old age as a heroin addict, providing you get proper heroin yeah. and all that. Yeah, but I don't think that's ever going to happen. Okay. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and with what I hear with my clients do, I don't think that their drugs are that pure, because every drug case I've ever had, what they do is the police always bring in the so-called expert, and the expert then says, okay, um, he sold three and a half kilos of cocaine, the three and a half kilos when you break it down street level, blah, 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 um, uh, one thing is worth, you know, $200. Every drug dealer I've ever acted for says, man, I wish I had his market. You know, <laughs> right. So they're just they're taking the worst possible yes, outcome and applying yes, that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because you do hear it on the news, like you know, uh, street value of four yeah. million dollars worth of cocaine, yeah. and you think, yeah. oh, you scratch your head a bit yeah. and go, yeah, exactly, yeah. in your dreams, in your dreams, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm sure it gets cut down on the everyone takes yeah. a bit along the way. All right, so but back are, to your original mm. question, I can't think of any other job where after 35 years, I'm still surprised at stuff and I still learn stuff. That's got to be a good thing for your brain. Exactly. But it's just, and I still really like coming to work. I really like it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's if you can find that in a career, that's kind of like the, the holy grail. Yeah. My first proper criminal client um, <laughs> robbed a liquor store. And he called me, no, he called, he, the police were called because an alarm went off, right? This was still in the days of the old alarms. The alarm went off. Um, obviously, the police, it was attached to the police station, but he called a taxi. The police got there before the taxi. This genius didn't have a car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you've got it's like, to laugh. It's funny. It's very funny. Yeah. And what was the outcome of the case? Oh, I can't, can't remember. remember. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. Okay. I think probably got a fine or a good behaviour yeah. or something. Yeah, it didn't take a lot. <laughs> it was only so much you can carry exactly. out with you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah. you know, then um, I had another client who was a bikey, very first bikey I ever acted for, and again, that was a thousand years ago. Um. And I said to him, now tomorrow when we go to court, can you please dress like you work in a bank? And he said, sure. Do you want me to wear a balaclava and carry a violin case? <laughs> <laughs> so they do have sense of humour. So humor. Yeah. All right. So speaking of bikies and, and those kind of um, 
the, the stereotype that comes to mind mm. when you say you're represented yeah. by his is, is large, big men, tattoos, rough, right? The kind of people that are not afraid to use physical violence to, to get a, a result for what they want. Yes. You are, I'm sitting across the desk from you, smaller stature. Yes. Um, certainly not a large presence of a, of a woman physically. No. Right? Personality-wise, different story. Yeah. Physically, not. Have you ever been intimidated by, by dealing with, with people like that? Do you ever find it frightening? No. 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 Um, no, I haven't. Only one time with a client that there was a dispute over a bill and this client was particularly vicious and that was because he kept threatening to kill me. And the reason why I was actually quite upset about that was because he had been to jail for a particularly vicious crime many years mm. prior to that, but it was a disgusting crime. Um, and that really worried me. Yeah, I'm sure. And he actually did, and, but he wasn't real bright because he actually did try to um, fire a gun into my bedroom window, but he got my neighbour instead. <laughs> it wasn't bright. You've actually been shot at. Yes. Or attempted, so yeah, someone's yeah, attempted to yeah, shoot Yeah, but I could you. never prove it, but yeah. 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 Okay. That's a little war story for the ages, that one. Yeah, but it's, I couldn't prove it. I couldn't do anything. Did he pay your bill eventually? Oh. <laughs> um, eventually, yes, through some intervention from some other clients. Right. Ah. <laughs> okay. Upstanding citizens. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yes, right. yes. So yeah. let, let's, let's sort of... <laughs> Sorry, that's just hilarious if yeah. you really think about it, that... You may have employed other clients to sell. Well, I didn't employ them. I just told them about my plight. And they liked And they you. sort of said yes, <laughs> and they kind of suggested that he should pay. Right. And he paid. Yes. I'd like to know people like that sometimes. <laughs> yes. I think she could be quite useful. Yeah. All right. Or quite dangerous. Yeah. Um, let's go and, and talk about, okay, you've, a client's come to you, they're guilty. Mm -hmm. Um Let's, let's stick with the drug charges because I think yeah. that's, that's, yeah. people are interested in, in drugs yeah. charges, okay. especially because of what we've just discussed yeah. about legal issues and uh, prohibition. Uh, they've been sentenced. Mm -hmm. What's your view on rehabilitation in our prison system? No, non-existent. That's my view of it. <laughs> it's, okay. It's just non-existent. It's just ridiculous. So it's punishment rather than rehabilitation? Absolutely. And is it a punishment? I'd think it would be, but... It is a punishment. Personally, I think it's like the university of crime. I think that if you go to jail and you are there longer than 6 to 12 months, forget it. You are going to be coming back there unless you're a very rare human being. So, so the repeat offences from 6 to 12 months... I think so, yeah, because you meet much better crims and you get this cold contact bit going. I mean, I've been surprised at certain friendships that were formed between people um, for drug syndicates, and I know that they met in my waiting room. You know, it's, I know that because I know they didn't know each other before. Right. It's, that's... Does that make you complicit? No, no, because I mean, no, I didn't know. Didn't it know, was years yeah. later, and but yeah. that's where the original meeting happened. Yeah, or okay. you know, and that's what jails like. So the meeting room of criminal yeah. minds. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do to fix that? If we put Maggie in charge, I would not have jails. Okay. I think jails are just completely and utterly useless. I think all they do is encourage people to commit further crimes. Um, I think again. Look, the argument is that people live in ghettos. Jail is a huge ghetto. You know, if you, if you believe that argument, that people live in ghettos um, and that's why they don't fit into society properly, you know, when you, people argue about multiculturalism. Yeah. You know, um, I think a jail is like that. It's, you go to a jail and you're there long enough, all you know is those jail people. You come out... You can't get a job most places. This is one big joke that, oh, you know, oh, yeah, 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 go get a job. Doing what? You apply for anything in the government, they need to know your criminal record. Now most companies ask for a criminal record. What are you going to do? Yeah, you, 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 
relegated to the lowest forms of work. Yeah, it's just shocking. And, and if you can find them, mm. and usually the other people in there if you know anyway. So how do you deal with the um, sentencing side of uh, a crime? Well, I think rehabilitation is... There are two types of people that are caught up in drugs. The first lot are people who are drug addicts, and it happens because they're actually feeding their own habit, mm. and it gets bigger and better. That's a health issue. That's not a... It's not a crime th- issue. That's not a crime. That's a health issue. So you've got to deal with that as a health issue. Mm. But again, be sensible. You know, rehabs are great, and a lot of them do really, really good work. But for God's sake, I've had clients who've been throw- thrown out of rehabs because they've smoked a cigarette. No smoking. I get yeah. real. Yeah. yeah, you're taking a, a drug addict and trying to yeah. break their addiction cold yeah. turkey can be difficult. Yeah. yeah. Um, or the other kind where it's about money. That I don't know what you're ever going to do about because I think that's human nature. You're rehabilitating greed. Yeah, yeah. How do you rehabilitate greed? <laughs> I know the answer to that. Yeah, well. Yeah. But the health issue is more interesting, I think. Yeah. Like, as, as I said, how do you re- rehabilitate greed? It's. My answer to that is take away their ability to make money from drugs by by legalising it. Yeah, we've just, exactly. We've already had yeah, that yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah. But the health issue, um, I tend to agree with that. Like I, I know people that have been heroin addicts yeah. who are now very well-formed, really good humans and, yeah. and members of society, yeah. and you would never, never know unless yeah. they told you. And it was. It was circumstantial that got them there, and mm. they got themselves out. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree with that, that the health system is there or should be there to do that. Yeah. What needs to change for that to happen from a legal perspective, though, is it to, it's from the top-down legislation? Mm, mm. Yeah, it does, yeah. But, I, I look, I just don't believe that that's ever going to happen in the Western world because I think drugs is too big a part of the Western economy. It's huge. Not just on the black market. I don't think so. <laughs> well, actually, the um, the um, Pong Su, which was that North Korean ship mm. that bought in 100 and something, 150. What, just now? No, years ago. Mm. Uh, 150 kilos of heroin or something yeah. like that. And they they got bust, basically. Yeah. Um, and they, they um, like, tracked, for want of a better word, the heroin. So they mm. went, went, when um, ASIO, who, who, federal police, yeah, yeah. get shipments of heroin, yeah. they... they um, put it through a um, pathology-type mm, system mm, and they mm. find out where it's come from. They yeah. can say, so this came from Thailand, yeah, this yeah, came from Afghanistan. Yeah. They'd never seen this signature before. Mm. And then they, you know, working backwards yeah. through all the rest of it, worked out that it came from North Korea. So yeah. you had state-sanctioned drug importation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you believe that's more than just that. Like, that's only that's only one example that I've ever heard oh, of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, look, I just cannot believe that all these Mexican cartels, Colombian cartels, all these things mm. work without help. It's impossible. Because they own the governments or because the governments are Im- implicitly involved? That's, that's, too, that's not, it's not that the distinct, gov- it's is not it? Necess- it's not that distinct yeah. and it's not necessarily the government, but it's people in the government. So it's a corruption issue yeah. as well. I mean, look, I remember saying many years ago to my father, whose firm I took over, um, that oh, because it was a story he was telling me about a particular police officer, and I said, ah, oh, so what you're saying is that you can never, ever be bribed. And he said, no, I didn't say that at all. I just said nobody's ever offered me enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that kind of answers it for most people. It's a great scenario. Yeah, yeah. and But I think, you know, which is why I think the Renaissance had it all wrong with their premise, man is basically good. I don't think man's that crash hot. (laughs) (laughs) So so Maggie's philosophy is everybody has their price. Absolutely. I I really believe that. Okay. So for the right amount of money, someone could walk through your front door and put an offer on the table that you would take? No. Right, <laughs> you just contradicted yeah. yourself. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, but hang on, hang on, hang on. I'd never be in law enforcement in the first place. Right? I would sure. never do that. I'd never be a corrective service officer. I'd never be a law enforcement person. I just... 
It's not you. No, it's not me at all. You know, the same as I don't want to run the local council. You know, that sort of stuff doesn't appeal to me. But I think the sort of people who have the personalities that want to do that, I think it goes hand in hand. With corruption? I think so, because it... They want to be in charge. They want to run things. So that, that comes down to Billy Connolly's famous joke of anybody who wants to run for office should automatically be excluded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which then leads to this scenario where you could have it like, like the reverse of Big Brother, and I mean Big Brother in like the Channel 10 sense, yeah, not yeah. the Orwellian sense, where, where people get voted in and they have to go as yeah. opposed to people get voted out. Yeah, so, yeah. Which means that us as a society could look to someone like you and go, actually, no, we think you'd be a good person to go and, yeah, see with that, and that's the reaction you get. No one wants to do it. No one wants to lead in that way. And if they do, your belief is there's an element of corruption. Yeah, I mean, honestly and truly, would you actually really, really, really want to be a building compliance officer with the local council? No, I'd rather absolutely kill myself. Exactly. (laughs) Would you want to run border force? Only if you get to play with some of their toys. Yeah, but forget the toys. <laughs> forget the toys, then no. Yeah. No. You know, do you want to run around in the CIA wearing those jackets? I did not want to work for the American government. Well, <laughs> I want to talk to people like this. Yeah, it's fun well, this, and make artworks. But this is, I mean, that's what I think really happens. It's yeah. impossible that all these cartels and things can just get by on their own. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's. In I, fact, there's a very interesting book written many years ago about the cocaine wars. It was called The Cocaine Wars. I lent it to someone, didn't ever get it back. I'm going to write that down. And that's written by a couple of CIA guys, and they talk about this sort of thing. Okay. So they basically like, they've done a bit of research on it. Well, they yeah. would have been involved yeah, yeah. hand in yeah. hand with it. Because, yeah, there was a doco called Cocaine Cowboys as well, yeah. which. Um, was probably about the same era, the, yeah. the 80s, yeah. when yeah. cocaine moved up through mm. um, the United States in particular. It's an interesting world. It is. It yeah, is. Uh, um, I think that covers a lot on drugs. Mm. Um, can, we, can we go back and touch on violent crime? Okay. Um, all right. What do you want to know about violent crime? It's, I'm fascinated by um, violence to other people to, to the point where... I'm, I'm the kind of person that can't watch a violent movie, mm-hmm. right? I just, I blanket refuse to do yeah. it. I don't want to see anyone yeah. shot at or killed yeah. or anything like that. But obviously it's inherent in a, in a large portion of the population. I mean, even so, if you think of like um, martial arts fighting, cage fighting mm. that they have, mm. I cannot watch that. Mm. But people love it. It's huge. What do you, What's your take on the societal norms, so to speak, violent video games, violent movies, violent blood sports, and its relation to violent crime that you see. That's Maggie rolling her eyes, guys. Yeah. She doesn't want to answer this question. Oh. You don't have to. Um, look, I don't know because yeah. I don't like video games, any of that stuff, yeah. um, and I certainly don't like violent movies. Mm. Um, and as far as those cage sports and things, I just think pathetic i mean the only one of those things that i can handle is the wrestling because it's funny which is also staged yeah 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 it's not but, fake, but, but proper it's boxing and things yeah. that's just terrible mm. um i don't know about video games but i do think that um a lot of the movies and i think again all this goes back to drugs and the reason why I think it goes back to drugs is because the sort of people who like seeing, oh, what's that movie with, um, it's an 80s movie and he's the cocaine king, he's Cuban, every single. Pablo Escobar. No, no, no long before him. Um, oh, he's every single person who's involved in gangs and stuff watches that movie over and over. Um, oh, you're asking the wrong person. Uh, what we'll do, move Michelle on. Michelle Pfeiffer's The Girlfriend. Okay. Um, I don't know. Oh, it'll come when up. you think of it, we'll put it in the yeah, show yeah. notes. Yeah. Do it afterwards. Um, but they, again, he started off as a drug dealer. And I think if you start off as a drug dealer, you've got to be tough. Okay. You know, like you can't have nice 
oh, you know, okay, if you don't want to pay me, yeah, that's fine, see you next week. It's not going to work. You'll go broke very quickly. So I think the violence comes with that. And I think when they look at movies, I'd look at Power at the moment, which is on Stan. I don't know. But well, that's all good. about drug dealers. Well, they're all happily killing each other, but they kind of have to, to survive. Right. But if you look at that, they're also taking a lot of the drugs. Do your, do your, in your experience, do a lot of the um, drug dealers, larger drug dealers, um, are, they, are they their own best customers? No, but they sure take a lot of steroids. And right. I think steroids leads to violence big time. Well, it's, it's, of course it does. Yeah. <laughs> That's logic. Yeah. Okay. So whilst they might not be using their um, Class A's that they're importing, mm. There's, mm. there's a big steroid issue in there. Yes, yeah. Okay. That I wasn't aware of. Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, big on step, big on the gym. Mm -hmm. Love yeah. the gym. It's, and that goes hand in hand yeah, with getting to steroids. Yeah, yeah. And that goes hand in hand with power. Okay. So there's another level there that you've yeah. just touched on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, like every single one of these gangs, whether it's a bikey gang or whether it's another sort of gang in the you know, you've got Vietnamese gangs, you've got Chinese gangs, you've got bikey gangs. Um, all of them seem to have a boss. Then they've got a 2IC and then you've got the foot soldiers. It's all mini versions of the army. Right. So it's a power structure. Yeah. For people that have been, um, what's it, emancipated, I suppose? Not emancipated. Um, what's the wrong word? Um, disempowered. Yeah. Through, their, through whatever. But at the founders. same time, the power is based on this is your family. We all love you. Yeah, okay. You watch any of these movies or listen to any of these people, it's our oh, brother, family, family. Yeah, it's the My Brother's Keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 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 the Bra Boys, yeah. Yeah. Which actually, that wasn't, they didn't coin that term, interestingly. Oh, okay, yeah. they did. Um, from my understanding, it was out of the US in sort okay. of the early 90s and they kind of adopted it for them. Um, I've had a, a little bit to do with that crowd through the, the surfing world. Mm, um, mm. Obviously, they all came out of that. You just run a mile from it. You just don't want anything to do with it. They're yeah. <laughs> not the kind of people you need to associate with. Well, but that's what most of these gangs are like. Yeah. But again, that all, that all grew out of a Housing Commission background. Yeah. We're all the way back to the beginning of this conversation, aren't we? Yes, but but if you look at um, they're rare, but they're getting less rare, private school kids. You have a look at some of the huge bus recently mm. and you'll see that there are private school kids there, went to Scots College, Cranbrook or whatever, good families, and here they are. Is that because they've got the, the initial startup capital, <laughs> for want of a better word, to, to lay down a big drug deal? I don't think so. I think no. it's because um, they probably started partying and went into the nightclub scene and all that, and I think they're just bone lazy. They don't want to work. Right. It's easy money. It's, it's easy money as long as you don't get caught. Yeah, you know? yeah it's easy. Yeah. But drug dealers or criminals, and I'm using the word criminal because it's just to yeah. differentiate from other people, um, don't think about getting caught. This is why these harsh sentences and things are ridiculous. Go on. Because it's just stupid. I mean, if if you were inclined to rob a convenience store because you have no money and you need your next hit or this is the way you survive, you don't think, no, if I go into that convenience store and I get caught and I do this on my own, I'll probably get seven years. But if I take someone with me, then it's an in-company charge, so then I'll get 12 years. I mean, they don't think like that. Just, yeah, just do it. Yeah, just do it. I mean, anything, you think about anything impulsive you've ever wanted to do. I'm the least impulsive person oh, okay. you've ever met. All right. <laughs> I get what you're saying, though. Yeah. Yeah. But even if you plan things, mm. I mean, people think that they're going to do things without getting caught. Yeah, see, I suppose that's where, where I struggle a little bit because I'm the person who, who always plays out, okay, well, what's the worst possible outcome for something? Yeah. And then work backwards from that to the best possible outcome. So I'm never going to 
sorry, I'm highly unlikely to ever commit a crime like robbing mm. a convenience store, mm. right? Well, yeah, but you know, okay, that's a low-life so crime. Low-life crime. But, the, the, you know, the, even dealing drugs, a lot, you know, all that, it's, it's why I'm so interested in talking to you mm. because it's, it's so foreign to me as a, as a concept. Well, I think it's foreign to most people, but look, I guess if you don't particularly like work, and I think there are a lot of people like that. Um, and you need money. It's easy money. Well, that, I mean, that goes right back to, the, as I said, the, the beginning of our conversation where, where, you know, people where society has, has a class of people that are really kind of spat out. Mm. They're ignored. And this is their option. Yeah. So, okay, so we've solved no problems, but we've absolutely heard a lot about it, which is <laughs> fascinating. What else do you want to do? I'm still trying to think of that movie. And I can't That's all right. Let it go. Don't worry about it. No, I've, I've taken up nearly an hour of your time and I really, really appreciate that. So I think we should knock it on the head and say, unless you're going to run for politics. No, I'm not. No, you're not. No, I'm you not. should. People, anyone... We need people like you. No, no. I don't think you do. You do. You do. For the exact reason that you don't think we do, we do. The other thing I think that yeah. a lot of crime now is caused by the fact that a lot of people today seem to have mental problems, real mental problems. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of them are induced by drugs, but they were probably underlying there anyway, because not everybody who takes drugs gets ADD, bipolar, yeah. all that stuff. Um, but there's no... The facilities for these people are practically non-existent. It's terrible. That needs to really be... Interest. So uh, mental health, which we, we've, yeah, I mean, to start on that track now, we could be here for another hour. Yeah, um, yeah, but on that track, that's before we finish, because mm -hmm. I was actually, somebody asked me about what's the weirdest thing that's actually happened to you recently. Um, and I said a number of things, but after I thought about this one, years ago I had a client who was charged with importing two kilos of heroin. Now, he came through Sydney Airport and the heroin was half hanging out of his suitcase. Like not even wrapped up? Not even wrapped up. And this was before dogs. They didn't even have dogs then, right? Um, but he didn't need one. There it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was coming from Lebanon. Okay. Um, he got arrested and he just, I saw him out of the jail and he was in custody um, and thought, I think really need to get some kind of reports for this guy because he just doesn't seem all there. So got a psychiatrist report and a psychologist report and he just, I can't remember what's wrong with him, but there's something wrong with him. Well, now the legislation's changed. Now you'd run a fitness to plead hearing, which goes before, you know, it's just basically done on the reports. In those days, um, you went and it was a jury question, which was really weird because the judge sent me down to the cells with a series of questions that I had to ask him. Now they're the questions the psychiatrists ask. Yeah, what qualified you to know what the responses were to those questions? Well, no, no, I had to report back to oh, the judge. Yeah, yeah, judge. yeah. Right. I then had to give evidence before the right. jury. Okay. I, so, I, um, so I went down and asked him, and, and the questions are, um, what's, what's a judge, you know, the boss of the court? What's a solicitor, you? What's a barrister, big you? You know, so <laughs> we're getting places. What's a court, where I go? Yeah, fine. Um, I'm thinking, this guy's normal. Next question. Why are you here? And I'll never forget this. Why are you here? He said, because King Hussein put period blood in my food. Okay. That's the last one I remember because then yeah. off he went. Yeah. Obviously a disturbed character. Yeah. Well, I then had to go and give this evidence before the jury. And, the, and it was a jury question whether he's fit to plead or not. 
Okay, and the jury came back with obviously no. And then he was sent away at the governor's pleasure. That's what it was then. Okay, what that meant was that he went into a mental hospital and he was cared for by psychiatrists. And when they thought that he was fine, they let him out. Okay, so about nine or ten months after that, he came into my office because he was seeing the psychologist down the hall anyway, which is how he was referred to me. He came into my office and said, hello, I'm out. And to this day. You've got, yeah, okay. <laughs> so you don't know whether the answers he gave were true or Exactly. False. Yeah, sorry, there was a wink there from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I, I mean, I suppose the flip side of someone gaming the system is... For every one person who is smart enough to do that, there's probably you know oh, several yeah. more stuck in a prison system. Oh yeah, with yeah. Obvious, I mean, since yeah. then I've had others that go. Actually, um, you have reports, and it goes before a judge, and there's no jury. And I mean, I've had tragic ones where you know this guy actually gouged his wife's eye out, and when I saw him in the jail and asked him why he did it, he said because his arm just left his body. And that was legitimate. That was yeah, yeah, oh yeah, out of body oh experience. yeah, 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 yeah. This yeah. guy's not. Yeah, and so where's the right place for a person like yeah. that? A jail or a hospital? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, and this is the sad thing because he, the reason why I got him was because he was originally in hospital and then they let him out and he was in the community under the mental health thing and it's just not enough. Mm. Yeah, and the mental health issues is. It's something that I've touched on on a previous podcast with someone. I had a, um, a psychologist on a while back, and it's just such a it's such a big area, and it's so complicated uh, that it seems that every other episode that I've recorded since then has touched on it in some way. Mm, um, mm, obviously, this one, yeah, uh, in a, in yeah. a really. But it's a huge way. area. I mean, yeah. now every second client has ADDD or whatever all that. There's a lot more called. labels now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's. Um, yeah, it, for me, it always is really interesting to find out what people, how people treat their own bodies, mm. um, and the outcome of that with regard to their mental health. You know, if your diet's terrible, if you don't sleep, if you're really stressed, and like this doesn't have to be in a um, a first world. I drink too much coffee. Yeah, I yeah. work too many yeah, hours. Yeah. I'm an upstanding yeah, citizen yeah. kind of way. It can be in a, I've got no money. My options are only dealing drugs yeah. kind yeah. of way. Um, it's going to lead to mental health issues. Mm. I think now we're just more open-eyed to it um, and accepting of the fact that it really is there. Um, mm, yeah, but how much of it is also an excuse for just antisocial bad behaviour? Uh, that's the catch-22. It's, it's easy, as your client did, to game mm. the system. Mm. Mm. So. See, I can remember when I was at school in third class, we had this teacher, Mrs Rogers, Mrs. Rogers would hit us on the legs with the ruler as we walked into the classroom. Just as a good morning. Yeah, just in case you're <laughs> going to do something that day. Just as a reminder. Yeah, yeah, every girl got that, okay? Many years later in a previous life when I was a teacher, I taught at the same school and I had a kid who was lighting fires under the desk. So the school psychologist was called in, okay? The school psychologist came um, and oh, this was kindergarten. And this kid, well, they were playing with plasticine. This kid had made a gun. Okay, as the and the psychologist was a woman. And the psychologist walked into the room. And just then this kid who she was going to see went bang, bang. And she said, that's the problem. He hates women. <laughs> <laughs> Right, just draw a conclusion yeah, straight away. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. But it wasn't you weren't allowed to hit him, you weren't allowed to do anything to him. Um, you just had to go through all this rubbish. It was a gender issue, according to her. According to her, it was yeah. a gender issue, but, you know, he was lighting fires under his desk. Could be something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just, well, Mrs Rogers would have dealt with him. To smack him one. Yeah, she would have smacked him one. He yeah. wouldn't have never lit another fire. <laughs> and I, I tend to agree with that as well because, like, I mean, I was smacked as a kid mm. for stuff that I did wrong. You learn pretty quick not to do wrong. Exactly. It, it does work. But there's a difference between a smack and beating. Yeah, oh, and that, sure. That's a sure. really, uh, that's where political correctness has kind of gone yeah. mad in that world. So. Yeah. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not often I get to the end and sigh. Yeah. All right. Okay. I reckon we should knock it on the head, Maggie. All right. Thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Um, Probably sounds terrible. No, it sounds fantastic. But I think, sorry, just one more thing. What, what you said before about um, people inherently um, bad or just stupid. Yeah. Yeah. People, most criminals are stupid. stupid. Just plain stupid. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what I've got out of this conversation is that yeah. your take is that people are generally good. Yeah. It's just some of them aren't very bright. No, no. Yeah. Really not so, bright. Which, unfortunately, there's no cure for. No, there's no cure, but they do need help. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Yeah, well, if that's why you're employed. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's do it. Thank you very much. Okay. Cheers. <laughs>